Welcome back to another episode of the Cinecast Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Shabbat, and today we're going to talk about Annabelle Escaping, Prison Break, the movies I've watched in quarantine, and much, much more. Stay tuned. Okay, cats, throw your mittens around your kittens, and away we go! Come on, everybody. Here we go. Come on. Let's get nuts. Today, we're going to talk about Annabelle escaping the Warren house. And now, you know, I saw this trending this morning and I wasn't really sure what was happening. I was like, okay, Annabelle escaping. Sure. That's that's plausible. You know, she's possessed and all. But I read a little bit more into it, and I found out that it's actually just a mistranslation. So, according to Snopes, the rumors started because uh, there was an interview with Annabelle Wallace, who played Mia in the first Annabelle, and she talked about her film, The Silencing, and how she liked to work with Tom Cruise in The Mummy. Now, once this interview ended up in, uh, I believe it was China, uh, on social media, they they put a scene of her escaping from the mummy online, and people misconstructed it to be Annabelle the doll escaping, not Annabelle Wallace escaping in the mummy. So it's just lost in translation. But you know what? I, I don't even like that theory, and that's the most plausible theory, but I like the idea that it was actually just a marketing scheme because the new Annabelle... Well, the new Conjuring movie is coming out in 2021, which is uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. It's coming out on June 4th, 2021. And uh, I only think this is a marketing scheme because back in 2016, 2017, when the killer clowns were all around, people were like, why? Why is there killer clowns running around and trying to kill people? Well, a year later, the It film came out and, you know... People were starting to wonder if that was planned or if it was just a very bizarre coincidence. And I kind of think that the Annabelle franchise and the Conjuring universe took a little page out of that book and said, hey, let's just make a joke out of Annabelle escaping to get some publicity going about the Annabelle doll. And I think that it was successful. A lot of people I know were talking about it. They were like, why is Annabelle trending like it's in the middle of a pandemic, like, people shouldn't be talking about a doll escaping. And I'm glad that it's not true. I'm glad she's safe and locked up under a cross and with holy water and may Christ compel her. Next up on the agenda is Prison Break and why it's the best TV show ever made. And please don't at me. And if you will at me, at me at Zach's about URL on Twitter. During the quarantine, I've watched a lot of Prison Break. I rewatched the entire series. And, you know, when I I first watched this, I was a kid, and I didn't really understand, like, the level of depth the show had, and I just watched it, and I was like, wow, criminals, cool, this is sick, I want to go to prison now. I remember saying that, and it's completely wrong But that's just one of the things that I really liked about the show, is that you can, you can watch it thinking they're the hero, and you feel bad for them, and you're like, well, they should be free, when in reality, they're criminals. And that's the type of show I like. I like the anti-hero. It's kind of like the Breaking Bad before the prison part, except, you know, Breaking Bad didn't go to prison. Anyways, ironically, they both have break in the name, but I think Prison Break is the best show of all time. And 
it goes in so much depth with Michael and and Lincoln, just the relationship through all the seasons. Like they're up and down all the time, but you know it's all about family and how strong that bond is. And, and spoiler alert: even though they're not actual brothers, the bond they have is closer than most brothers do have. And so, I think that even though the series did go a little bit downhill after the first two seasons it's continued to build that relationship between Michael and Lincoln and that's one of the strongest things I've seen in a show for five seasons at least and even the secondary characters like Sucre, Teabag, Sarah, all those secondary characters and all the characters that escaped with Michael and Lincoln out of prison like their relevance to the show isn't diminished because they're not they're because they're secondary they're they're just as important as the lead if not more and it just goes to show that like like i said before it's family and based off that family i guess it's not really a family but it's the family bond impact that the show has and it show it shows that every single season First season, you see him building his family. Michael is building his family from scratch. And he's like, yo, you're going to come with me. You're going to come with me. You're going to come with me. And he knows from the very beginning that these people are going to be useful with me at some point in my life. Season two, they're out of prison. They, they split up, but they somehow all reconvene because of the money. They all thought the same. And that's one thing that the show does really well. They're all criminals and they're all going to think the same when they're on the run. And I think that's the most realistic aspect of it. And in, you know, in season three, when they're in, in Sona, Michael still doesn't quit. He finds new people to help him. And he knows that he can't escape without specific people teabag especially like he, he finds his new teabag that he needs to escape, escape with because or else he's going to rat him out and so that whole sequence with whistler and all that 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 blows my mind and you know season four wasn't as great as i would have expected and it feels like it's two seasons in one like it's a super long season but uh i think it was I think it had a lot to do with season three and how they they brought that up. Without season three, you wouldn't have season four, but you can have season one and two. I don't know. It could have been two different shows. If like it, season one and two could have been the same as three and four, but like they, it seems like they're not together. But the character relationships are still there, and I think a really good show needs a really good character dynamic, and that's what the show does. And you know, season five, even though it was short, not as great as the others, I'll say it. The intensity was there and the relationships were there. I liked season five. It wasn't my favorite, but I liked what it brought to the table. It brought the idea that Michael wasn't dead. You know, I, I predicted it back at, when I watched it as a kid. I was like, he can't be dead. It's Michael. He can't be dead. And then when season five came out, I was like, obviously he's not dead. You can't have a f Michael. I don't know if everybody has access to it, but at the end of season four, there's a, an hour and a half, I think, episode or film of Sarah going to prison and Michael is making her escape from that prison, and which sets up season five really well. And I think without that episode, it would be very confusing. It was a good season. It could have been better. And I saw there was a rumor for a sixth season, and I don't know if it's true, but if it is... I don't know what they're going to do. You can't really do much else at this point 
regarding Prison Break and their characters. They're all old. They're not criminals anymore. They're just regular old folks. And, you know, I hope, uh, you know, Wentworth Miller continues producing and directing because he's, he's a lot like his character, Michael, where he's a lot of brains. He, he knows what he's doing and he does great work. And also we share a birthday, so that's cool too. Moving on, other stuff that I've watched in quarantine and I, I really enjoyed. Um, before I get into this list, um, I want to say now I watch a lot of A24. I'd like to say I'm a, I'm a fan of A24 films. And so my list consists a lot of those films because I haven't seen all of them. But we're going to start off with Arrival. So I saw Arrival with my friends on Netflix party. And it was my first time watching it. And I had an idea of what the movie was about. But watching it, even though I knew that there was alternate lines and stuff like that, I had no idea it was coming. I was just into it. I was paying attention, and then halfway through, I was like, what is happening? I don't know what's going on. Someone explain this to me. And, you know, it's such a good film that it's one of those movies that you have to watch more than once. And I haven't watched it since, but I will have to because I still don't know what happened. But I like the idea of the movie, how it's two different timelines, and then they meet at some point. And how she can she can contact herself through those different timelines. Yeah, Arrival was a very good movie. And I'm glad I did Netflix part with my friends to watch that. Because their reaction to me reacting to the movie is priceless. So, the second movie I watched. I watched more than these movies, but these are the ones I liked. I just want to state that. Alright, so I watched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And I hadn't seen this prior to this viewing. And, man, I loved it. It was such a good movie. Edgar Wright, man, that man is incredible. The entire cast just blew my mind. They had so much chemistry, and ironically, I watched this, and then a week later, they did the 10-year anniversary uh, reading, read-through for, uh, I forget what foundation it is, but anyways, I watched that as well, and just the characters still have great chemistry together, and it just blows my mind that 10 years later, they are still able to, you know, build off that and still work together. And man, it's just a, such a good film. I am, I'm speechless. I liked the fact that it was set in Canada. I appreciate that, that they use the Canadian actor for that role. Probably Michael Cera's best role in a film. It's probably up there with Juno. Anyways, moving on. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, this is an oldie. I believe it was 1975, yes, 1975, where the movie came out, and I saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest like a week after I watched Clockwork Orange, and it was it was shocking to me how fairly similar these movies were. And these movies are very similar in the way that the person going to the Institute isn't actually mentally ill, or they are, but... It's not really portrayed in the way that they are. But then they end up staying because they end up mentally ill. Or in, I guess in Clockwork Orange, it's, he doesn't. Anyways, Clockwork Orange was a ride. It's Stanley Kubrick is... Was his, I don't even know what to say. He's, his films were 
incredible and Clockwork Orange was that. It was incredible. And I, I know I just flew over, no pun intended, the cuckoo's nest, but Jack Nicholson, this is probably his best performance in any movie ever. He was just incredible. And the ensemble was just mind-blowing. Clockwork Orange, again, just to reiterate, it's it's a, it's a good movie. Go into it with low expectations because it's kind of weird. And by kind of, I mean a lot weird. But once you get past the first half an hour, you'll be set. <laughs> Next up is Bad Times at the El Royale. And my friend Matt recommended me this movie every time I said, hey, what should I watch? And it would always be Bad Times at the El Royale. And when I saw the poster and the trailer, I was like, I don't know if I should watch it. It doesn't look that good, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched it and, man... That's a great film. And it's funny because I watched this. I I wasn't a huge fan of Dakota Johnson. And I thought she was one of the better actresses in this film. She was always on point. Never skipped a beat. And, you know, I, I gained a lot of respect for her in this film. And the entire cast was incredible. And I the entire plot was just so original. Everything about it was really good, actually. And I, I remember when that, the year it came out, at those Oscars, I remember Matt telling me, man, they're going to be a huge Oscar snub because this movie's so good. And, you know, I at the time I was like, what do you mean? Like, there's so many good movies out in 2018. And after watching it, I agree. Huge Oscar snub. It should have won... Should have been nominated for so many awards. Next up is The Martian, 2015. Matt Damon, incredible performance. I know The Martian is based off a book, so there's a lot of things that people probably don't agree with in the movie, but from what I've heard, it's pretty accurate to what the mo- the book portrayed. Even though the movie was really long, it didn't feel like it. The pacing was really good, which is kind of different to what I thought Bad, time, bad Times at the El Royale was. I thought... Bad Times was longer than it actually was. It felt longer, while The Martian was long, but it felt short. There's so many aspects of it that make it seem like it's more than just a movie. It feels like it's a TV show at some points because there's so many acts. So moving on, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And I liked how real this was. A lot of people don't like this movie. And, you know, at the 2018 Oscars, it Frances McDormand won Best Actress, Sam Rockwell won Best Supporting Actor, and you know, Sam Rockwell, I'll go, I'll go, I could talk about him all day, he's such a great actor, underrated, and you know, Woody Harrelson got nominated, it got nominated for Best Picture, Best Musical Score, Best Screenplay, and Best Film Editing, so it, it wasn't an Oscar snub, but it was one of the, one of those films where it was very real, and it, it made kind of it make it made people uncomfortable, and I think that's the point of the film. It it makes you think about what would happen if somebody did that, like put three billboards about the raping of her her daughter and how she died, and nobody's doing anything about it. Like it makes you think that so many people get away with this kind of stuff in the real world that it could happen to anybody, and the fact that Sam Rockwell's character just overhears someone say some 
scenario that is similar to Francis McDermott's daughter's death and rape that it just it just goes to show that this happens more than we think and that's a very very bad thing and a scary thought too so I think this movie even though it didn't win everything and and it that it should have it does more than it's going to be a timeless I believe and I don't throw that word around a lot it's one of those films that will have a lasting impact in cinema I think it deserves it because it portrays such a big message that it needs to to resonate for a long time next up I watched Her I I like this movie it's uh you know it's one of those films where it's set in the in the future and there's a lot of it's probably one of the better films of the decade of the 2010s and you know I loved Joaquin Phoenix's performance I loved Amy Adams's performance and um you know there's not much to say about this movie it's it's a good movie it's 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 a slow pacing movie, but it's one of those films that if you can get through it, it's it's really rewarding. And I'm not saying it's boring. It's not boring at all. There's always something going on, but it's a rewarding movie. And I enjoyed I enjoyed the I enjoyed my my watch through. <laughs> and finally, before I get to the A twenty four. Films I watched, uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. And this is not as popular as most of the films I've I've named, but uh, this is my third or fourth time watching this film. And, you know, every time I watch it, it just blows my mind how good it is. You know, it's, it's about this guy who, who's an aspiring filmmaker who, who meets this dying girl has cancer and he he befriends her because his mom forces him to and it it's it has that Scott Pilgrim feel to feel to it that like it feels cartoonish at times but at the same time it, it's a very real film and all the performances are great um it's based off a book again and I I'm not much of a reader and I don't know if it's as accurate as I don't know if the script was as accurate as The Martian was to its original source, but it's a must-watch. And if you haven't seen any of the movies I've na- I've named today, Be Earl and the Dying Girl is probably number one on your list that you should watch. It's a great film, and you will love it. Now, on to the A24 recommendation and, you know, films I've watched. So, the biggest films I haven't watched in A24 are Midsummer and First Cow. Now, I know First Cow came out recently, but my friends keep pushing me to watch Midsummer, and I just haven't had the chance. And to be honest, I'm such a fan of Hereditary that is there really a point for Midsummer? Like, I've been told that Hereditary is better, but some people say Midsummer is better. You know, I... I don't know. I'll have to watch it to judge it, obviously, but... During quarantine, I watched a ghost story, which, again, it's a, it's kind of like her in the fact that it's slow and has Rooney Mara, but it's very, very rewarding. And, you know, small cast, 
but so much happens and not much dialogue, but it shows how isolated a ghost can be and how dying can can leave a hole in your life. You know, a ghost story does a really good job at showing how being alone isn't always good when someone passes away and how a spirit, whether you believe in spirits or not, will always remain at their home. I enjoyed it. It's a, it's a, it's a slow watch. It's, it doesn't pick up. I, I'll tell you that now. But it's very rewarding in the end. And it's, it's kind of sweet. Another sweet A24 film is The Florida Project. Now, I had to watch this in first year film. But I didn't. Because I had the choice, I believe, between The Florida Project, Okja, and Get Out. And I decided to watch Get Out. The Florida Project is a sweet film with unknown actors other than, like, Willem Dafoe, the king. But again, it's one of those films that A24 succeeds at where they make a story out of something so basic. Okay, I wouldn't say basic. It's The plot's kind of heavy at, at points, but it feels so real and so truthful, and it makes you think about how how you see the world in, in some way. I don't know if that makes sense, but the Florida Project made me see the world differently. It makes you think about different people's situations, and I think that they did that really well. I think the only negative thing about the movie that I would... It's not really negative. It's just for the film to be more successful because it was on-set location shooting. It was unknown actors. I think Willem Dafoe should have been played by someone else. But I don't think the movie would have been as successful without Willem Dafoe. So it's both sides of the scale. Do you want the movie to be popular somewhat? Or do you want the movie to be unknown, but as accurate as possible? You know, it's, it's up for debate. He was really good in that film, but I think the movie would be better without him. Next up is Swiss Army Man. And now, again, a small cast. Basically two f- people for the entire film. And this one... Kind of like the Clockwork Orange. It's a little weird. It's a lot weird. Swiss Army Man with Dana Radcliffe, where he farts. What's up with A24 and people farting? You know, the lighthouse, Swiss Army Man. It's it's the Harry Potter crew, isn't it? Next, we're going to see Rupert Grint fart in an A24 film. Anyway, Swiss Army Man was great. Basically, it's a story about a man being a Swiss Army knife and being useful at every situation possible. And it's probably one of my favorite A24 films, if I'm being honest. I loved the the music in it, which is weird to say because it was mostly a cappella at times. But I don't know how to explain it, but it's one of those films that made me feel like I was there. Like, I was lost as well, and I, I needed Daniel Radcliffe to fart his way and use his boner to show me the way. <laughs> Never thought I would say that. But again, yeah, I felt like I was actually there and in the presence of the characters. And it's one of my favorite A24 films, and you should definitely watch it if you haven't. Now, next up is Hereditary. It's probably one of my favorite 
scary movies. Again, it's one of those slow films that picks up in, at points. And it, it's kind of like my next film that I'm going to mention. But Hereditary is like very stressful. It, it starts soft and then it builds, it builds, it builds. And it kind of never goes down. And I want to correct myself because it's not really a horror film. It's more like a thriller. But you're scared because of how tense it is and how stressful it is. And yeah, the ending is kind of messed up. You get to see Tony Collette crawl on the ceiling and bang her head and rip her head off. But Tony Collette's performance in this is worth watching the movie in itself. Like if you you don't like horror movies, just watch Tony Collette in this film. She's incredible. Her range in this film is incredible. And you have to watch it more than once to understand some parts of the movie and even to this day I've watched it five six times and there's some things I pick up that I didn't pick up the first time and you know Tony Collette's character if you if you portray it in different ways it just blows your mind like the first time just watch it normally and then she says something in the movie that you think about the whole movie the next time you watch it you think about that thing in the beginning and you see something different and it's it's beautiful, and Ari Aster is mwah, beautiful. Like, it's incredible. And finally, I kind of gave it away by saying it's a stressful movie, but Uncut Gems is my final A24 film that I've watched during quarantine. And, you know, Adam Sandler, it's one of his best performances. It's stressful as hell. And it never really truly pays off. It's a uh, it's a good film, not as great as people make it seem. It's I enjoyed it. There's a lot of swearing, if that's your thing. But most of the dialogue is fuck. So get ready for that. And there's a lot of yelling too. To be honest, it's just uh, an Adam Sandler movie on steroids. It's Adam Sandler in the flesh, literally, at points. But he's it's one of his better performances, and Uncut Gems is as stressful as movie as I can think of right now. And Hereditary is a stressful movie, and I, I Uncut Gems is worse. <laughs> Anywho, those are all my recommendations, and they're not really recommendations, but they're the movies I watched, and you can watch them if you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But that's the end of the show today. It's a little shorter than usual. But uh, before you go, don't forget to follow me on Letterboxd, see what I'm watching, if I liked it, and what I want to watch. And my letterbox is just Zach Shabbat. You can follow me on Twitter too at Zach Shabbat URL. I'll see you next time.